Let's turn again now to John chapter 4. Uh, John chapter 4, reading again at verse 31. Meanwhile the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. So on down to verse 38, particularly this morning. I'd like to focus in both our sermons and studies this morning and evening at this passage, uh, this passage, this chapter, really. We're looking at these verses just now. And God willing, this evening we will look at uh, the following verses from 39 to 42. And we're doing that in relation to the outreach that we're uh, planning and hoping to carry out this week, but really in general terms also, in terms of being a mission congregation, a congregation that's dedicated and concerned for mission, to bring the gospel to the world, to bring that message of salvation in Christ to those around us. That is not only our responsibility, but our privilege under God. That is what he has set us in the world to be, a mission congregation not just looking inwardly to our own spiritual well-being and growth, but outwardly as well to bring that gospel to the world around us that so needs it as we do ourselves. Now the Lord is using here an illustration of harvest time, and he's using that illustration in regard to the disciples and their view of the world around them, especially these Samaritans that have started to come towards Jesus as we read in verse 30 there, they went out after hearing this woman and her testimony. They went out of their town and were coming to him. And it's in relation to that that Jesus then uh, spoke in these terms to the disciples when they were urging him to eat. This is his response to them, that he had this spiritual food that they did not yet realize fully what it was, this food of doing the Lord's will, doing the Father's will and carrying out his will in terms of the work of spiritual harvest. And you'll find that, of course, uh, throughout the, the Scriptures. Psalm 126 comes to mind, where you find uh, an emphasis by the psalmist on those who go out weeping, bearing the precious seed. They come back rejoicing, carrying the sheaves. In other words, there's that uh, sowing followed by reaping that in spiritual terms also applies to our lives as we come to know of a fruitfulness resulting from the work of planting, the work of sowing, the work of laying down the seed, which as we'll see is really very much a part of our living as a Christian congregation. In verse 35, uh, you'll find here verse 35, the second part of it, one of the emphases that we're looking at this morning is that the fields are already white to the harvest. In other words, the matter of evangelism or mission or outreach, whatever word we used to describe that, it's always in the present. It's never just in the past. It's never just with a view to the future. So we'll see from this passage, Jesus is emphasizing the harvest time is now. The harvest time is here. The need is always there. The responsibility is always upon us. The privilege is always ours to be witnessing Christians 
to be sowing the seed and indeed reaping something of the harvest as well. And we're looking today at these uh, verses under the title, Ready for Harvest. That's what Jesus is saying. These fields, he's saying as he speaks spiritually, they are ready for harvest. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The reaping time has arrived. And we'll look at this, first of all, looking at the, exi- the example that Jesus set us. And secondly, the employment that Jesus has allocated to us. The example he set us and the employment that he's allocated to us. What is the example, first of all? Well, look at verse 31 here. Here is uh, the disciples saying, the rabbi eat, they were concerned, obviously, he had gone without food for some time. And they had gone to uh, the town to look, to get something to eat. And they came back with some meager resources. But then they realized that he was still hungry. He hadn't had anything to eat. So they said, Rabbi, they urged him. They were saying, look, you've got to eat. They were afraid that he might faint or something like that. That he needed food. And this is his response. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to accomplish or finish his work. That's the food that Jesus is particularly concerned about. That's his response to the disciples' concern for his physical well-being. He's saying, this is my food. My food is to do the work that the Father sent me into the world to accomplish, to do the will of my Father, to finish that. And that's a great example for ourselves. You go back to Psalm 40. Um, Psalm 40, as you know, has verses used in the New Testament in in Hebrews uh, which are applied to Jesus and fulfilled by Jesus. You remember there that uh, it speaks about him coming into the world as the Messiah, as the Savior. Um, He's saying here, a sacrifice and offering you've not desired, but you have given me an open ear. He's personalizing this in regard to being a a type or a symbolic of the Savior. Then I said, behold, I have come In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I desire to do your will, O my God, your laws within my heart. That's what Jesus is about. He's carrying out the will of the Father. And the amazing thing is the way he puts it here, that's his food. That's the example he's setting the disciples and setting for ourselves. Where is our spiritual food from? Well, there are different ways of answering that. You have your spiritual food from the Bible, from the truth of God, from coming to worship, either privately or together as we're doing today, all of that is nourishing. You nourish your soul through prayer, through these spiritual exercises. But all of that is really ultimately carrying out the will of God. As God has made His will known to us, as we want to do His will, whatever that will holds for us, whatever He has set for us, that's where our nourishment comes from. I have this food, Jesus says, to do the will of my Father and to accomplish His work. Isn't it a a marvelous thing to see that although Jesus knew the challenging, difficult, terrible things that were within the will of the Father for Him. In other words, He was to lay down his life ultimately on the cross. He was to bear the sin of his people and die their death, the death they deserve to die spiritually. He was to take this 
eternal death, this hell, this damnation that his people deserved to himself and actually die that for them. That's the will of the Father for him. And yet he's saying about it, this is my food. This is where I have my satisfaction. This is what gives me satisfaction and delight, knowing that I'm doing my Father's will. Now what an example to set us. Here we are thinking of being and continuing to be a mission congregation, a reaching out congregation. And one aspect of that is what's planned for this week. Only one aspect, but an important aspect of it. Here's our example as we go forth. As you think of what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19-20, verses 19-20, to 20, that's what we call the Great Commission, as it's been called, uh, where he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, of all different kinds of people, in other words. This is what you take with you. That you are doing the will of God. That Jesus took delight in doing the will of God. And that we today are to be satisfied. To receive our nourishment indeed. To have satisfaction in our own souls. That we are carrying out that mandate from Jesus. To be not just a worshipping but a witnessing congregation. That as individuals too. We have the privilege of being his disciples, reaching out to a world that doesn't know him or doesn't want to know him. That's the example that he set us, and that's a very important part of what the passage contains, because that example comes before what he's saying about the harvest time. And they have to carry that with them as his disciples into the practice of what he's now saying. So what is this employment that follows on what's the employment allocated to us by Jesus following the example that he said. Well, the first thing about this, this employment, of course, is to, using the imagery of harvest, uh, to be the kind of Christians that carry his word into the world and sow the seed of the gospel and wait for the harvest and indeed sometimes rejoice in seeing a harvest in return for that. That's the imagery but it's a spiritual work, it's a spiritual employment, spiritual labor. The first thing he's emphasizing is that the harvest is now. Now he says here, do you not say, verse 35, that there are four yet, yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white already for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap on that which you did not labor for. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Now, the first thing that's, that you see from that is that he's saying, there is a harvest now to be reaped. And he's asking them, lift up your eyes. He's not here, of course, talking of a natural harvest. That's the imagery that's used. He's saying, in the natural world, in terms of a natural harvest, there's a gap between the sowing and the reaping. There's a gap of four months, he's saying here. But I'm telling you, he says, as you lift up your eyes, as you see these people coming out of this town, as the fields are actually now filled with these people that are streaming out towards him, he is saying to the disciples, lift up your eyes. What are you seeing? You are seeing fields there ready for harvesting. 
There's a crop waiting to be harvested. It's already begun in the woman of Samaria that went to tell her fellow townspeople of who she had met and what she had actually been told. This is surely, she said, the Christ. We'll have a look at that this evening, just that particular verse, as it led to the many Samaritans coming out of the town and coming to know himself personally, which is the response, the reaping, that the passage also contains. We're looking here at the fields ready for harvest. And what Jesus is describing is these people, as they're just beginning now to make their way towards Jesus, and as the harvest has begun in this one woman that's already been converted and gone back to tell her fellow townspeople of what she now knows, and who she now knows. This is what is being seen. Now that's very important for ourselves as well. As you look around you today, how many people in this town, you take in the town and the environs of the town, down as far as Mackenzie Park, Park End, or out the other way, what you might call are the environs of Stornoway, how many people in comparison to those here and every other church in the town today, how many people are actually at a, at a service of worship? How many are engaged in worshipping the Lord? Far, far fewer than the totality of that number. Look around you and Jesus is saying, what do you see? Do you just see people that you uh, know are not Christians, that are not interested in coming to church or coming to know the Lord? What do you then do? What do you think of as you look upon them? Do you just think of them as uh, people have chosen to live that way, so that's it, that's their choice, that's their responsibility? Or do you see that as a harvest waiting to be reaped? Do you see that as a place in which you sow your spiritual seed of the gospel and then by God's blessing await the return of the harvest as he blesses that seed? That's how we have to look. What do you see when you look around you? You see people who don't know the Lord. You see people who are going headlong to a lost eternity. You see people who if they die without Christ will be lost forever. The time is short as we'll see in a minute. And he's asking us today and calling upon us today to actually lift up our eyes and just focus on what it is to be lost. On what it is to live without God in your life. What it is to be in the grip of secularism or atheism or any other kind of philosophy or lifestyle or worldview that leaves God out of the picture altogether. What do we see? What's our response to that? Well, here is our response as a congregation, but it's for you and for me as individuals too, to be involved with it. The fields, friends, are white unto harvest. That harvest is not for tomorrow. It's not for next year. It's not for some time later after a series of events have happened or time has elapsed. Jesus is saying, the fields are now white for harvest. If we're not involved in that, the reason is not that the harvest is not there to be reaped. Something else must be a reason for that. What we want to be is a people who do both sowing and reaping. There's some, some difficulty in really being absolutely sure about some of the details there that he's saying already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. He might, in fact, be talking about himself there. 
He's the one who has sown the seed that has resulted in the beginnings of this crop with this one woman that became effectively a missionary and is now seeing the response to her mission in her fellow townspeople coming out to Jesus. Whatever you say of it, however we interpret it, what he's saying is, this is now the time for the reaping, time for the harvest to be taken in. And you know, that's really so true of us as a congregation and as individual Christians as well, that in a sense it's always the case that we are both reaping and indeed sowing at the same time. Because what we're engaged in today is from a sowing, perhaps, of previous generations. The fact that you are here today in church goes back very likely to the prayers of other people who have actually prayed for us from the time we were children as we now pray for our children. There's always that sowing before the harvest takes place in our own lives. I'm sure you can all think of someone or some people today who witnessed to you spoke to you about the Lord who brought you up in a Christian family or if that wasn't the case who nevertheless showed Jesus to you a sowing resulting in a reaping and for ourselves it's a time of sowing as well if there's been a sowing before of which we are now the crop you might say well we're engaged in sowing because our interest and concern is for the succeeding generation for those who are coming after us why do we have Sunday schools why do we have tweenies why do we have that concern and campaigners and all the work we're doing with with the children because it's sowing the seed it's looking for the harvest it's praying for the God of the harvest to bless the sowing of the seed so you see we are both reapers and sowers at one and the same time and that's going on all the time that's how we have to look at it it's uh, important that the harvest is now and that God is sending us into the harvest so that we will indeed both sow the seed and reap from the previous sowings that have taken place that means secondly Uh, in this employment allocated not only is the harvest now but the harvest needs workers I spent some years working on a farm after finishing an agriculture college and it was quite common although I wasn't involved in working out in the fields or or that part of the farm's farm's business Um, nevertheless when harvest time came the farmer would often call upon us to leave whatever we were doing if it wasn't urgent which normally it wasn't working with animals whatever, and go and help those who are actually engaged in the harvest. So we'd be going out to the harvest fields at the time of when the harvest was at its height. In other words, that was a time when extra hands were required in order to take in the harvest successfully because, you know, as farmers are in that uh, dilemma all the time, aren't they? They're just waiting for a window in the weather if it's not a very good summer or autumn. They have to actually do this when the window is there, when the the weather is is dry, especially if you're engaged in sowing barley that's going to be used for seed. One of your your concerns is that it doesn't get too wet, it doesn't have to be dried out too much and so on. So you have to use that short window of opportunity and you need extra hands to do that. In a sense you carry that into the business of being spiritually sowers and reapers for Christ. And in that, every, every Christian has a role. came across this quote from Spurgeon. 
He says, I will, not receive, I will not believe that you have tasted of the honey of the gospel if you can eat it all yourself. As soon as a man has found Christ, he begins to find others. And that's what you really find in this chapter. Now, if you look back to verses 17 and 18, just cast your mind, your eye back to that. The woman answered Jesus, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Would you have said at that point, if you didn't know the rest of the chapter, would you have said at that point, this woman is going to be a really successful missionary. She's going to be an outstanding Christian. She's going to bring the gospel to our own townspeople. No, you would have said, that woman has a very, very dubious and shady past. There is no way that that woman is ever going to fit into Christ's church. She's never going to be a disciple. Surely Jesus would never use the likes of that. That's what he does. He changed that woman. He revealed himself to her as the Savior. She accepted that. She went away with great excitement to tell her fellow townspeople of it. And what was the result of it? They're streaming towards the Lord. You see, you never rule yourself out and you never rule anybody else out of being successful missionaries. Successful in the sense in which God can use us. And the disciples, as they saw this woman certainly looked past her, looked beyond her, didn't really have much interest in her. This is what uh, you read, of course, as they came back. They were surprised that he was talking with a woman. That was their first thought. Verse 27. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. Not just uh, the type of woman she was, but any woman at all that she was actually being spoken to by Jesus, that he had taken the time with this woman that they would simply have passed by and ignored and saw as of little, if no significance at all. But you see, Jesus saw her as part of the harvest. He included her in his sowing and in his reaping of this great spiritual crop that he was sowing among the Samaritans. And what a difference she made as God used her to our fellow Samaritans, as we'll see this evening, the resulting harvest in the verses 39 to 42. But just think the moment, uh, for a moment at the fact that they marveled that she was talking with a woman. What can women do in the harvest fields? Well, as I look out over this congregation, I'm thankful to God that there are so many women here who serve the Lord. We're not in the business at all of saying women can just do something in the kitchen, something practical in that way, and that's all really they should be allowed to do in the work of the gospel in the church of Christ. I have no time for women in pulpits. That's against the teaching of God's word, women being preachers of God's word. That's clearly contrary to what God himself has appointed as a teaching ministry but apart from that and office in the church what else cannot women do here is a set of disciples they're marveling that Jesus was talking with a woman 
There are so many things that women can do and should do and are privileged to do for Christ in his kingdom, in his church. And all of you women that I look out on here today have your own significant place in the, in the, in the work, in the employment that God has allocated to his disciples. So many different ways in which you serve the Lord, which you have your own particular type of ministry, if you like. And that is what you find throughout the Bible. If you look, for example, at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3, just to take that one example, there are many others as well. And Philippians chapter 4, as uh, Paul was writing to those beloved Christians in, uh, in Philippi, this is what he says, chapter 4 and verse 3, he says, I entreat you, O dear, I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, that's the interesting thing. He says that these women have labored side by side with me in the gospel. Paul didn't say, hey, I'm a man, I'm an apostle. I'm called by God, by Jesus, to be an apostle. There's no place alongside of me for, me, uh, alongside of me for women. How can women possibly serve alongside of me, an apostle of Christ? Well, what he's saying there is, help those women. Remember those women who served alongside of me in the gospel. You may not, by Christ's will, be allowed into a pulpit, allowed to preach the gospel, but you are alongside of us, those of us who do. You are companions in labor, companions in this employment of sowing the seed and reaping the spiritual harvest. And this congregation blessed above many with the talents with the gifts of many of its women to serve alongside others in the gospel and you know it's all a matter of serving together in any case if you look at Romans chapter 12 it doesn't matter whether we're male or female what our background may be what our gifts are Romans chapter 12 is one of those passages that tells us about uh, the importance of, of unity and the importance of using all the gift together that God has bestowed upon us. Verses 12, uh, Romans 12, verses 4 to 8. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service... Uh, he mentions teaching he mentions exhortation he mentions one who contributes he mentions one who leads he mentions zeal he mentions acts of mercy and you'll find two broad categories there categories that use speech a category that uses speech including preaching but also a, ca a category of you might say more practical works of mercy of charity of practical love and in all of that, apart from office and apart from preaching the gospel, women are disseminated through all of these gifts so that they come together with us, men in the gospel, to sow the seed and to reap the harvest. And that's what God has actually given us the gifts for. Remember back in Nehemiah's 
uh, book. There's a wonderful chapter there, chapter 3. Um, I think we looked at it way back, but <clears throat> chapter 3 is really a list of names, by and large. And you might very quickly pass over it and say, well, it's just a list of names. Don't need to stop much over that and think too deeply about it. What can you do with a list of names? Well, if you look at it carefully, it's during the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem under Nehemiah's leadership. And it says, of all the families that are mentioned there, it tells who took part in this work of repairing and the different types of backgrounds, the different types of employment, naturally, that they had. Some were jewelers, some were uh, uh, involved in uh, practical works, in heavy work, some were involved in very delicate work. But they're all together there repairing the walls. And the interesting thing is, as you go through that chapter, what you find is, repeatedly, as it mentions certain names, the heads of families, then it says, next to him, and next to him, and next to him, and next to him. And as you follow that all the way, you realize that you've gone all the way around the wall and you're back where you started. In other words, there is no gap in that wall, in the, in, in the, the number of those who are, who are actually serving there. There's no gap. They've all come together. They're all side by side in repairing the walls of Jerusalem. And that's spiritually how it should be for us too as a congregation. That's what we're aiming at. That's what we're, uh, what we're learning the gospel really for in that sense. Harvesting is a time for concentration on taking in the harvest. Needs concentration. Needs unity. That's one thing this congregation is blessed with. Let's pray that it continues because taking in the harvest really in many ways depends on the unity of the workers, of applying the gift severally and in the variety of gifts that are there. And that's today what we want to focus on and carry forward in our life. The employment allocated to us, the harvest is now, the harvest needs workers, and the time is very limited or short. The farmers will tell you that the window of opportunity for the harvest is very brief. And if it's not used efficiently, what's left growing, farmers call it plowing back into the ground. It's just plowed into the ground, becomes part of next year's crop or fertilizer for next year's crop. And that's why there's an urgency in mission work as well. The harvest time is now. It's for you and I to engage in it together. Whatever type of work it is, there's something for you to do today in the harvest fields of the gospel. As you lift up your eyes, ask yourself, what more can I do in the work of the gospel in this congregation? doesn't have to be speech, doesn't have to be teaching. Maybe it's something that you see as very small practically, but it all fits together. Next to him, next to her, next to him, all comes together in the work of gospel, sowing and harvesting. Famous violinist Franz Fritz Kreisler, who lived from 1875 to 1962, he just died in 1962, but he was a world-famous violinist. 
And he earned a lot of money from playing at concerts and performances and so on, but he was a very generous man. He gave away a lot of his money. And on one occasion, he came across a really exquisite violin. I don't know what it was, one of Stradivarius or something like that, one of these really precious violins. And he came across it for sale, but he didn't have enough money to buy it there and then. So he went away and he raised some money and he came back and uh, asked the seller, uh, would he sell it to him? And he discovered it had been sold. And it had been sold to a collector. Collector being someone who didn't necessarily play it, but just had it as a collection to show other people. Uh, here is a famous violin. Anyway, he went to the collector's home and he met him there and he offered to buy the violin from him. And the man said, well, it's really now very precious to me. It's a prized article in my collection and I've decided I'm never going to sell it. I'm sorry. So Chrysler very disappointedly turned around and was about to walk out and he said, uh, could I just play this instrument once before I leave? And the collector said, yes, yes, of course. Please take it and play. So he took up the violin and being the virtuoso that he was he played whatever it was he played I don't know but the collector was moved to tears he was overcome with emotion such was the brilliance of this uh, violinist on this wonderful violin and he said look he said I have no right to keep this to myself please take it it's yours Mr. Kleiser take it and then he, when he, when he, what he said then was this Take it into the world and let people hear it. You see, that's the crucial thing. Instead of remaining in his collection, never giving out a sound, he was saying to this expert violinist, this virtuoso, you take it. You take it into the world and the way you play it. Let the world hear its music. Well, that's it, isn't it? Why are we Christians? Why are we a Christian congregation? Is it just to keep the music in-house? No. Take it out into the world. and Let the world hear the music of Christ. The music of salvation. Play it there. Because the fields are white unto harvest. Amen. May God bless these thoughts to us. Let's uh, sing now in conclusion from Psalm 126. Psalm 126, that's in the Scottish Psalter. On page 419, we'll sing the whole of the psalm. When Zion's bondage God turned back, as men that dreamed were we, then filled with laughter was our mouth, our tongue with melody. Psalm 126 on page 419. And after the benediction, if you let me get to the main door, please. I'll greet you on the way out. Psalm 126, the whole of the psalm. When Zion's bondage go turn back
Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore. Amen.